Down the right field line. Pretty well hit. LeVarn way. It's the right way here tonight. Yogi Berra said it's 90% mental. The other half is physical. My name is Ryan LeVarnway, Major League Catcher and Minor League Grinder, and I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Hey guys, welcome to Finding the Way. I am Ryan LaVarnway and today I am joined by Jake Olson. If you haven't heard of Jake, uh, I don't know why because he is extremely inspirational and anytime I tell someone I am about to talk to the first blind Division One football player, they're like, oh, the guy from USC? So maybe you have heard of him and you just don't know it. This is Jake Olson. Jake, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, so um, like we were talking about off air, I do not want to focus on your disability of being blind but i do want to set the tone because uh you might be the first blind person that i have really had like a full interaction with and we had some technical difficulties that were totally my fault the first time we tried to record this podcast and i found myself kind of tripping over my tongue of like oh i can't really see you on the zoom and i then i was like oh shit he can't see me either and then i was like well maybe i, I could text you and i was like well i don't know how he sees texts um do you find that people have uh, a little bit of awkwardness when they first interact with you for the first time? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely definitely tell people are walking on eggshells or feel like they have to watch what they say. Um, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate where the heart's at in that, but, you know, I, I don't think that's, like, the best way to, to learn or to, you know, I, I, like, I never want someone to be afraid that I'm, you know, like, okay, if you, if you do something that offends me, like, I'm not in in the space where like i'm i'm gonna hold that against you it's not you know it's not like you're doing something malicious where it's like oh i'm gonna say this just to piss them off right like it's it's okay to to make mistakes if, if that's the case but for me i don't really even you know notice when people you know ask like a lot of people are, are always the, the biggest one is like well did you watch that movie and then they're like oh i mean you know it's like dude, like that's just a normal question <laughs> right like i know it says it, i know you're saying watch that movie like you're watching like seeing it but like yeah, I understand the question means just like, did you, you know, experience that? Like, did you see that? Like, I, you know, it's not like I'm not taking that literally. Right. right. So. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm not the type of guy who usually gets all up in the arms about that, that stuff anyways. Uh, so if you haven't checked out Jake Olson's social media profile, you are a funny dude and you really are engaging and humanizing on especially on your Instagram is at Jake Olson 61. Um, but you do a little video series where you are the blind referee and you talk about how NFL referees are <laughs> the worst call of the week. Um, you had a little series on that, which I think are awesome. Go check them out if you haven't seen it. And you also did a series, the hardest things to do as a blind guy that you've never heard about. And yeah. you did uh, three, two, one, but I couldn't find number one. Number three was, was toothpaste. Uh, number two was plugging something into a, an outlet. I couldn't find what is the number one hardest thing that you wouldn't think about. Oh, man, I, I, honestly, I can't believe I didn't put plugging an outlet as, as number one. That's like that's like especially the outlets behind like something. You know, I mean, it's just it's a nightmare. But uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, probably like okay. So like on a serious note, the number one thing I always tell people that like you never think about is you know, walking into a room and kind of 
initiating you know conversation or contact with someone right because a lot of times you walk in a room you see someone you know across the room you guys you know make eye contact you wave and then you know where you're going you're going to go over there and talk to that person right for me i could walk into a room full of people i know and you know i'm relying on you know recognizing their voice in order to kind of engage and start that conversation if they're not going to come up to me so like like from a social standpoint, that's like one of the kind of, the, I guess, the most difficult things is just not being able to kind of initiate as much as, um, you know, someone could or as easily as someone could with sight. So I'd say that's number one. Uh, but if I had to put another kind of just like, you know, on that same kind of line of thought as the two and three there, uh, car door handles, man, like for sure, you know, like you, you go to the side of the car and it depends on, you know, the size of the car, whatever, but like finding the car door handle, like you really got to like, just like, you know, pat that thing down. Cause sometimes, especially with like Jeeps are like, you know, it's like the handles up on the door kind of, and then Tesla's forget about it. I and mean, I still don't know how to open the <laughs> Tesla door. Um, <laughs> I learned how to open it from the inside, but like, yeah, if you're, if you're in a Tesla, like you do not have to worry about me coming and robbing you. Like I will not be able to open that door. <laughs> Things you don't think about, right? Um, so, right. no, true. so, so Jake Olson's story, if you don't know it, Jake, you are, you obviously already know this part. He was born, uh, with retinoblastoma, a rare cancer in the retina in your eye at eight months old, you lost your left eye. Uh, and then you had vision in your right eye until you're 12 years old. You battled cancer and beat it seven times. And then on the eighth time, uh, cancer came back and, and took your eye away from you. What was that like beating cancer and, and seven times it going away, seven times you beat it? Um, what was the emotional roller coaster like every time you, you probably got, got a phone call and then had to check in every six months? What was that experience like? Yeah, you know, it was, it was just constantly going up and getting checkups and, you know, going through the motions. And, you know, I, honestly, you know, I think kids are, are some of the most resilient or you know adaptable people on the planet just because you know it's like what they know right and so for me that was kind of my childhood you know my life of just going up to chla um you know being born and raised in southern california that's where i was treated which really worked out as a blessing because um you know the top doctor to, that treated retinoblastoma was located at, at children's hospital los angeles so but it was just you know my childhood was going up there getting those checkups you would think that it would be more like devastating every time, you know, I was told that cancer had come back and we had to go through more treatment and try this thing now and try that thing now. But to be honest with you, I was just so used to kind of being in that battle and that fight that it just, okay, like, here we go again. Um, it, it wasn't the biggest deal to me. Um, I just, you know, was, was willing to put up with that and, and fight as long as, as I needed to. Well, it was more of kind of the, the shock factor, the thing that really got me was, you know, that eighth time when I was told that we couldn't fight anymore, right? That we had exhausted all treatment options and that we couldn't use this treatment anymore to fight it. And that, you know, again, the, the last option was the removal of the eye, like when, when I was a kid or when I was a baby, um, you know, that, that really kind of was, was more frustrating and a shock than any of the other times because all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of being told, I, hey, like, you know, you, we can't fight this thing anymore. And um, obviously that just really didn't didn't compute with me. And, and you know, it's, I guess, a different type of fight, which was now blindness. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that was kind of more of the, the devastation of, of just the fact that, hey, you know, I, I fought for 12 years, put a lot of in, into that. And to be told that at the end, hey, you know, we're going to have to lose this, this high anyways, was just really frustrating. 
Yeah, I, I can only imagine. That's a that's a phone call that you never forget, and that your family just it just changes everything about your your life, your family's life. Um, about this time, when you were around twelve years old, you kind of caught the public attention. When how did how did the relationship with Pete Carroll and USC football happen? Did you write a letter to them? No, I basically uh, was surrounded by people who had connections with USC. You know, either that being like I'll give you a couple examples. Like our neighbor two doors down was like an adjunct professor at USC, and then um, you know uh, we had a couple family friends who you know knew people that were either like on the team or like my one of my family friends, you know, someone a daughter that I went to school with. Um, like she danced with like a couple of girls whose brother was on the team. So like it just people kind of were, were able to acknowledge my story. And, and one of the things I told my parents that fall was just, you know, before having that surgery of losing my eyesight that I just wanted to see as much USC football as possible, just because I grew up a huge USC fan and it was the fall and football season. And, you know, it's, Hey, what do you want to see in the last six weeks here? And it's like, I just want to see as much USC football as possible. So that kind of desire got to coach Carroll, probably in the athletic department on multiple avenues, but, when Coach Carroll heard that, I mean, obviously he was more than gracious and, and really just wanted to, uh, to make that happen and then some. And, uh, you know, I don't think he ever knew, you know, obviously he didn't know me, and I don't think he ever expected or knew that the relationship was going to blossom as much as it did. But I think as soon as he met me and kind of felt my spirit, uh, I, I think he knew it was going to be special. And the way I connected just authentically with, with him and, and the team and the players – Again, I don't think anyone ever knew how much it was going to grow. Like, I think it's kind of one of those things where coaches will, you know, invite the family, invite the kid who's gone through that cancer or gone through this disease, and, like, it's a cool day, and, like, you know, it's awesome. But I just think the way I connected, especially that first day, and it just it grew much more than just a, a special circumstance. Like, I became part of the team. I became a little brother to, to a lot of those players. Like, I became – um, you know, just a friend to Coach Carroll. I mean, he calls me his hero. Uh, you know, I'm his. He's my hero. I, I, I his right hand man said it the best. Is that like Coach Carroll and Jake are like the same person, just fifty years apart. Um, and I, I really think just that statement says it all in the sense that we're, you know, our positivity, our optimism, um, our fight, our desire to want to compete, all that is is very true in both of us, and it just naturally connected. And because of that, it turned I think much more than what probably they thought was just going to be a one-time or a couple-time thing of just this kid showing up and enjoying seeing practice and games. It turned into, like, an actual relationship. Yeah, you can tell that. Obviously, there was cameras that followed you around when you were a kid, and, and you had, you know, those last six weeks of being able to see. And it's amazing to see the relationship between both Coach Carroll and you and the players. You're shown a lot on the video with uh, Matt Barkley. I grew up a USC football fan as well. My dad attended USC um, so V for victory for life. Um, <laughs> but I'm watching this video and, and it's so heart wrenching and so inspiring. And your mom asked you if you were okay. And she, you, you responded, this is just going to be a new stage of my life. And, and in the video, you can see that your mom is, is devastated and, and you kind of comforted her, even though you were about to have this, this life changing surgery. Uh, and it seems like you're saying you inspired Coach Carroll. You've been inspiring everyone your whole life. How were you able to inspire others, even while going through the most difficult thing that I would imagine that you, you had to go through? Yeah, well, I, I think it just was taking the lead of 
um, you know, letting other pe- people know that I was going to be okay. You know, I think one of the hardest parts of, of someone going through something is actually not the person, but, you know, the person or people who, who love that person. Because, you know, for them, you can only do so much for a person, right? You can be there, you can love them, you can support them, you can give them the tools, you can, you know, again, be the support system and, and help them. But at the end of the day, it's out of your control. Uh, and that person going through the thing, you know, not that that person's in much more control, but they are in control of their attitude. They're in control of a lot that, you know, can, can push through. And so for me, I, you know, I understood that even as a 12 year old. And so it was like, Hey, you know, I'm like, I just want to let them know that like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, not let this stop me. I don't know what that necessarily looks like, but, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that, you know, mindset to this. And I think, you know, one, that was for me and just the life I wanted to live. But two, it was, you know, for my parents and people who love me and just wanting to give them the peace of mind that, hey, like, you know, they don't they don't have to worry about, you know, what if Jake just, you know, curls up in a ball and doesn't achieve anything? And what if, you know, we have to take care of him the rest of our life? And what if, like, he's this? What if he's that? Like, I, I, I you know, I didn't need them worrying about that, too, right? Like, I'm sure they were already freaking out that their son is is going through this and everything. So, you know, to, to kind of give them that peace of mind was, was just, you know, made, made that decision even more concrete. So you inspired your parents, you inspired coach Carroll, you had the surgery to, to remove your right eye and now you're completely blind. What was that like? Um, as someone who has seen my whole life and you, you had vision until you were 12 and then they removed your eye. Does it feel, <laughs> does it feel to you like your eyes are closed? do you see black what is, what is that experience like for you yeah so i mean you don't see black because um you know like seeing black is still seen right if you went into a dark room and you're you know you, you couldn't see anything like you're still that's that statement i'm I, I can't see anything like you're still seeing you're just not seeing anything right so to, to be blind you know is to actually you know to not have that that vision anymore is to not really see so basically it's just your mind's eye at that point right like just kind of almost like if you were to imagine you know what you dreamt about last night or if i told you to picture like you know camp as a kid like what what would that look like and it's it's a little more vivid than just like your memory but like it's it's a lot like that the other thing that i never thought you know when i was going having to find out i was going to go blind and you know that, that six weeks like i thought i was going to have to want to and have to picture things a lot more right like oh what would this look like what would that look like and there's a lot of times in the day where i'm just you know you forget like not that you forget you see you can't see but like you just forget that like it's it's something that is is like part of life i guess just because it's not there so like I, i'm just so focused on what i'm hearing or like what's going on and ascertaining what's going on through my other senses that you know there's not a lot of times where i'm like hey what would this look like right now or like oh i need a picture what this is looking looking like like there's sometimes right like there's sometimes but like i don't know it's just not as much as as you would you would expect um so i thought that was interesting um but yeah i mean it it definitely is uh it was a weird thing you know um but like i i think part of going through cancer as a kid and, and depending on the treatments we were going through, there'd be times where I just would have really bad eyesight and, and there'd be other times where I had decent eyesight. But because of that, I think my body really did learn how to 
start using the other senses, like my ears to, to know kind of where space is and orient myself. And so, you know, a lot of times, like if I know where I, you know, if, if I'm in a space where I know how the layout and everything, and I can, you know, hear for, for things, you know, where walls are and where openings are and, you know, like my apartment building, right? Like I'll walk around there without my cane just cause, or, or my guide dog, just cause, you know, if I'm walking to the gym, like I just, know where i'm going and know where to, to turn because i can hear the hallway open up like there's things that you just use um that that you i don't know you have to develop and your body uses to to make up for the lost sense um but i think i'm probably ahead of most you know people who are going blind just because like my body did that as a kid and like i said you know kids are so adaptable i i think that was a really you know a blessing in disguise that after i went blind i'm like oh man like my body body already kind of knows how to do this to an extent wow that's that's so interesting um so so let's now transition into your football career you you had played as a kid uh and then as a junior in high school you decided you wanted to play again and you were quoted as saying truthfully i sort of sucked when i got started (laughs) how did it how did you get to motivated to get back into it and what what was your thought as far as how far can, did you think you could take it? Did you ever think you'd be um, snapping for the Pac-12 winning USC Trojans in 2017? Um, yeah, so I love football, right? I mean, growing up in Southern California, I loved USC, um, clearly. And then just, you know, loved the game and uh, was playing flag football in middle school and, you know, was uh, – you know, probably would have started playing, you know, Pop Warner and tackle in the next year or two. But then, you know, seventh grade is is twelve years old is when I went blind, and that kind of threw a wrench in things. I, I played flag football my eighth grade year, even after going blind. But I was, you know, the center and kind of could snap, you know, the ball and, and shotgun and kind of block the person in front of me to an extent. Like, it, but it's you know, it's like flag football and middle school. It's not that big of a deal, right? Like, so when I went to high school. I went to uh, Orange Lutheran, which plays in the Trinity League in uh, in California, Southern California. So we get to play every year in our league. Teams like Modern Day and St. John Bosco and Servite. So, you know, the top teams in all of America, you know, I, I would venture to say, and I don't think there's much of an argument, that the Trinity League is probably the most difficult high school football league in all of the country. And so that was real tackle football. I mean, that was, you know, the highest level tackle football in high school. And so I went in as a freshman and just basically admitted, Hey, you know, this probably isn't going to work out. Like I can't be a center anymore, even though I could, I guess, again, we're pretty consistent shotgunning the ball back there to the, the quarterback. And obviously if he was under center, like that's pretty easy to snap the ball back. You don't need to see to do that. But you know, as a center, you're calling out the Mike linebacker, you're calling out different protections. Like, obviously, I couldn't do that, right? Like, I can't see where number, you know, 54 is on the field to call out. You know, that's, hey, that's the Mike. Um, so, I knew that, did play, but Friday nights would go to the games and would just kind of just, like, be kicking myself, right? Like, man, like, what what could I do? Just thinking, you know, like, could I like, be a manager? Could I participate? Like, I just... I, I really want to play football. Again, this is a game I love. And finally, after talking to my friends who were on the team and, and everything, I was like, man, is there just any way? Like, I just, I really don't want to look back on my high school career regretting not playing ball, right? Like, I'll have the rest of my life thinking back about high school and being like, shoot, I just really should have played football. Um, 
that that like I just I that didn't I didn't want that to be me and and so came upon the long snapping position which was this position again snapping the ball so like I kind of did as the center but this time you don't have that that same blocking responsibility um, and so basically um, I went down like the end of my sophomore year during spring ball like right before school kind of got out in May I went down there one time and and basically was like yeah I know how to snap the ball like I, I can do this and I tried with the one hand like I was you know a center and I can I could kind of get the ball back there pretty good um, and consistently like I did in, in eighth grade and just knew how to do but long snapping is a little more tricky than that you know it's it's a lot faster it's a lot more kind of consistent a little more spiral on the ball and so you definitely have to use two hands and it, it just has to be a, a certain skill set and you know for me I never learned that skill set so I like I tried to put two hands on the ball in front of the coaches that day and like I just sucked like I you know I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> but like it was really bad right and and so here, you know, I don't blame the coaches for this necessarily because, like, if you put yourself in their shoes, like, you pro- everyone would have the same reaction, which is, okay, here's this blind kid wanting to come play football on the team. And, you know, I, I, the coaches, they have to be competitive, right, because of the league we play in. So their jobs are on the line, right? The way, the way they put food on their on the you know table for their families yeah. is, is by coaching. So, like, they don't want to, like, make fools out of themselves and just, you know, accept this this blind kid and, hey, yeah, well, you know, what this, that, whatever. So, like, they kind of blew me off and basically were like, you know, hey, it's already crazy enough that you think you can do this, but, like, you're, you think you can do something that you don't even know how to do? Like, I, I'm sure they were just like, what the hell? So, <laughs> they kind of pushed me aside. But there was this one coach who basically said, hey, if you want to learn how to long snap, I'm not promising you'll ever see game time. I'm not promising you'll, you'll ever get it or whatever. But at least I'll show you the technique in which you can, you know, learn how to actually do this. So I said, sure. So that rest of the school year, you know, a couple of weeks left of school, we met every day after school. And then even in the summer, we actually started meeting, you know, during the weekdays off campus. Um, and basically hour, hour and a half was just there going through the drills, learning how to, you know, get that spiral, learning how to snap, be more consistent. And by the time August came around then back into fall camp for, for high school football, um, you know, I showed up and showed what, you know, to the other coaches and to, you know, the punter and the holders and everything, what I could do um, now. And, you know, it just was, hey, you know, Jake's probably the best snapper on the team. You know, we're going to have to figure out how to get him out there and line him up. But, you know, from a standpoint of just who's the best snapper and the most consistent, it was me. And and, and this is where I give huge kudos to my coaches. Because, yeah, there were some other kids who could long snap, but they, they said, you know, like, no, Jake wants to play. Um, he has going to be a little different. We're going to have to figure something else out. But, we're not going to just simply, you know, put someone else out there because they can see we're, you know, we'll make it work with you. And so long as you can do your job and, and, um, and that kind of was the deals for, for the, my junior and senior season. So I started, you know, long as a starting long snapper on varsity and it just was honestly the, the best memories I have in high school. So you, you keep talking about how there was, there was no guarantee you were going to play, you know, I'll teach you how to do it, but there's no guarantee. And when you were fighting cancer, there's no guarantee you're ever going to beat cancer. And you inspired your parents. You inspired Pete Carroll. You inspired this high school coach to spend extra time with you one-on-one every single day and then over the summer. How, I mean, you, you talk about how you, you've always been a fighter and you, you give credit to the fact that you were a kid when you had to start fighting. But there's more to it than that. There has to be because 
you didn't have to fight and you didn't have to fight battles that there was no guarantee of winning or not even a good possibility of winning necessarily what what is it that you tell yourself when times are tough and, and I'm coming at this from a perspective of, of maybe our listeners can get something out of this and take it into their own lives. When the odds are stacked against you, what do you tell yourself to keep fighting? Well, you know, the, the, my personal definition of resilience is, is that there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, and I think a lot of times in life, people got it mixed up, right? So if there's a will, there's a way, right? When there's a will, there's a way. A lot of times in people's life, they say, well, if there's a way, I'll have the will. Or when I can see the way, then I'll have the will. And, and, and life just doesn't work that way, especially when you talk about these life-changing events that come up, right? You get in a car accident, you know, you, you're, you come home, you find out you have cancer, your spouse has cancer. Like, these things kind of hit you upside the head, and you're not going to see the way. Like, you can't see how how things are going to play out or how you're going to get through it. And because of that, people lose the will, and it's sad, but like, you know, um, one of my favorite bio verses is that we live by faith, not by sight. And I think it really applies here in the sense that control what you can control, which is your will, right? Your attitude, your will to want to push forward. I, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through cancer. I'm going to play football. I'm gonna, I have the will to do that. And then you can find the way. And the way will show itself. And it'll be, you know, a, a journey to find the way. And, and there'll be different ways and not, you know, you'll fail and realize that that's not the way. And, all those things come into play then and we can talk about that but what you just pointed out was hey what what did you have during all those times and that's just the will and as long as i knew i had that then i knew there was going to be a way that presented itself uh one way or another um and the beautiful part about that is when you show people you have that will it is contagious and there will be people that will then come inside alongside you and help you find that way and that's in every part of my life. If that's education, if that's with football, if that's with my golf, if that's with business, if that's with anything in life, people have come alongside me and helped me find that way and were support systems and find it that way and provided that way for me. But it started with me, right? Like it started with me showing them that I had that will and had that passion and that desire to want to push through. And again, let that be contagious. And it really is. I, I really believe you know, people don't understand the power behind letting people know you have this this desire to go out there and do something, and you want to find that way because you have the will to do so. Um, and and I just think you go through any success story, it's going to first start with that person taking upon themselves, taking that personal decision that I'm going to do this, I have the will to do this, and then they start finding that way. And guess what? You know, along that way comes this person that helped them do this and that person that helped them do that. And then they look back on it, you know, how many years later and they say, man, like if it weren't for me first taking that step and then all the people that came alongside me, I never would have accomplished this. But that, I mean, that's, that's at the heart of every success story. Oh, man, I feel like I could run through a wall right now. I love I love listening to you talk about that. And, and on this the ESPN video that highlights you and really highlights your story, you're quoted as saying, I want to be an example to others where they can look at me and then they can find the courage inside themselves to face their fears and face their adversities and go dominate life. Just as a, as a kind of a wrap-up question for you, because uh, this has been such a great episode, if there's someone out there that's facing a challenge, you know, whether it be a disability or, or an injury or a family member or a lack of support in their own world, what would you say to them? 
Well, I would say that one, you know, I, I believe, and that's not the most important part of the most important part is you believe in yourself. But I believe that in each of us, uh, not does not matter who you are, where you come from, where you were born, what color you are, nothing. I believe in all of us. There is this uh, this winner within. I call it a lot of times, but just this deepness inside of us that wants to come out and, and be resilient that wants to come out and fight and wants to come out and achieve and overcome and really when you believe that you have that inside of you and tap into that however that may look i believe there's a lot of power in that and again you got to be the one to, to figure out one how to tap into that what does it look like when you tap into that again it's not going to be this necessarily this rah rah like let's run through a wall for everyone i get it but what does that look like for you and then when you find that and you find that kind of um, that desire to want to overcome, then what? where do you want to kind of channel that? And and that's really, you know, in, into the passions and the desires you have in life. And, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things about humans is that, you know, we all have different desires, and thank God we do, right? Like some people want to play football, some people want to paint, some people want to, you know, just be nurses, some people want to, you know, there's, there's so many different desires. And so whatever that looks like for you, um, you know, another version of your question, a lot of people at times people ask me, you know, my kid's, you know, blind and, you know, you struggle, what, 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 how do I be a good parent to him? Or, you know, what, what do I do? It's like, man, just, just love him and, and whatever he kind of shows you and, and, or she shows you and, and what they want to do in life and what they're passionate about, they love, then help them find that way. Cause in a way they're showing you they when well, they want to have a will to, to paint, they want to have a will to, to sing, they want to have a will to do this. So help them find that way, whatever it looks like. Um, and when you do that as a person, again, you're going to find that, it is like I was explaining. It is contagious. So if you don't think there's anyone around you right now that cares, or you think no one loves you, or no one is around to help you achieve that, I promise you, don't worry about that. Like I, I know it's stressful. I know it can feel lonely, but don't worry about that because I promise you, if you start just worrying about yourself and that will and and, and choosing that way uh, to start finding that way, there will be people alongside you that come that you maybe you don't even know yet. But there will be people that come along and flank you and just say, hey, we're, we're going to help and carry you sometimes and, and do these things and open these doors for you. I'm, I'm telling you, it's 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 almost like math. It really is almost like two plus two equals four. It, like it just it's it's how life works. Um, and the people that, you know, never thought they were going to be successful or never thought this or that or the other. Um, if you probably ask them in their darkest, deepest moments uh, of, of their failures and stuff, they probably said the same thing that you're saying right now, which is, man, I just didn't know how I was going to get through. I didn't know how I was going to have that way, and that's okay. Like I said, we live by faith, not by sight. So have the faith that you have inside of you to keep pushing forward um, and that you are loved and supported, and it's probably maybe even by people you don't know yet. Just have that faith in that, and I promise you, you're going to look back and just be like, wow, I, I've accomplished something that I, in that moment I never even thought was possible. Awesome, man. Well, what, what I got from you during this session is that you can control your attitude. And, and if you're positive, optimistic, you have the desire to succeed. Uh, it's contagious and the people around you are going to want to drive also. And that if you're a parent or a peer of someone that really wants to accomplish something, encourage their will, encourage their will to yep. succeed. Uh, Jake Olson, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been Finding the Way. Thanks for listening to Finding the Way with Ryan LaVarnway. Find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.